So what does God expect of Christians? How then uh, shall we live? I was uh, uh, notified that that is actually the title of a book by Francis Schaeffer, and that's exactly where I got the title, but I have not read the book. But it poses the question in a way that we wanted to explore it. How then shall we live? What, what is God's will for his, his people? Well, here's a part of God's answer from his word. God wants us to be faithful and fruitful. God wants us to be faithful and fruitful. He wants us to be faithful to him. He wants to be fruitful in every good work and in, in his service. So that makes sense, doesn't it? And that summarizes a lot of what could be said about what God expects of Christians today. I'm going to change that a little bit and phrase it like this for a reason that I hope you'll understand shortly. God wants us to sing a song to Him. God wants us to sing a song to Him. Not just with our lips, but with our lives. I want to give you a little music lesson, and some of you could teach this music lesson better than I, including my mom. But I want us to think of the term octave. Octave. What is an octave? Merriam-Webster gives several definitions for this term, but I want to highlight two of them. It's actually the third definition. 3A says, a musical interval, is what an octave is, a musical interval embracing eight diatonic degrees. I don't know about you, that didn't help me a whole lot. I had to look up diatonic, which means this, of relating to or being a musical scale comprising intervals of five whole steps and two half steps. That didn't help a whole lot either, except I'm familiar with the term scale. I'm used to be in the band, used to play the trumpet, and so we had to play scales all the time. Scale, I understand, a graduated series of musical tones ascending or descending in order of pitch according to a specified scheme of their intervals. Those are all textbook definitions of these musical terms. And if you want to see it in notation, here is C major scale. You'll see it's eight notes from C to C, comprising an, an octave. I want us to be reminded that God is a music lover. God is a music lover. And he wants us to, quote, sing him a song. Again, not with our, just with our lips, but with our lives. Now let's go to the scriptures. 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're exploring the answer to this question, how then shall we live? And this is where we get the idea of an octave. And it's talking about soul tones. But notice, first of all, as we begin in verse, th uh, verse 5 of 2 Peter 1, Peter writes, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And for this very reason, that takes us back to the two previous verses. So let's note those again. Verse 3, God's divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Then Peter says, for this very reason, for these reasons, because he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, because he has called us by glory and virtue, because he has given us great and precious promises, because he made it possible for us to escape the corruption in the world and, and to be partakers of the divine nature, because of the blessings he has given us, add to your faith. But before we get to what he's calling for us to, as Christians, add to our lives, Notice that because of the blessings that God has given us, He gives us a reason to sing. He gives us a reason to, as the psalmist says, I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. And just looking at those two verses, verses 3 and 4, we find several reasons why uh, we should want to sing a song to God. We should want to live our lives for Him. So let's look at the song in verses 5 through seven that God wants us to sing. Because of the blessings he has given us, Peter goes on to say, first of all, add to your faith. Add to your faith. Before he says that, he qualifies it into the degree of effort we're to ex uh, expend, giving all diligence, giving all diligence. NIV st states it, make every effort. So, before this, this text in verse 5, is talking about God's blessings in our lives. What He has done for us. And now He talks about how we should respond to Him by singing Him a song, if you will. And we're to make every effort in doing this. This is talking about our response. That we're to bring an effort to the table here. To demonstrate and be diligent in our demonstrating uh, our gratitude and, and, and our service to God. He uses the word add, add to your faith. Guy in Woods, um, I want to read a paragraph where he talks about the origin of this word add. He says, originally in the Greek language and culture, this word meant to found and support a chorus, like a community chorus, to lead a choir, to keep in tune, and then to supply or provide. The meaning here. As here used, the graces which adorn the Christian character are to be chorused into a grand symphony to the delight and pleasure of him who fashioned and made us for his own good pleasure. It will be seen that there are eight of these graces, that they thus form an octave, of soul tones. The first being faith, the last love, an octave higher. When these are harmonized and played on by the divine spirit, disharmony disappears and life's discord vanishes. So there's the idea, sing God a song with this octave, with this scale of notes, with these diatonic soul tones that God wants us to use in singing him a song with the, the way that we live our lives. And that basis of that octave, the first note, if you will, is faith. Add to your faith. Faith is what it takes to please God. 
For without it, Hebrews eleven six, 6, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. I like uh, William Barclay's definition of faith. Faith is the conviction that what Jesus Christ says is true and that we can commit ourselves to his promises and launch ourselves on his demands. So faith, that first tone in our soul tone in our lives is that conviction that we can take God, we can take Jesus at, at their word. We can stand on it, that we can stand on those promises and that we can surrender to, to, his, to God's demands. That's the, that's the basis of this song. It begins with faith. It continues with faith. But we're to add to our faith. New King James Word uses virtue. Add to your faith virtue. What is virtue? It basically means the determination to do that which is right. We have faith in God, and now God wants us to add to our faith. Courage is another is a related idea. Courage. Courage to do the right thing. Courage to, to speak out for Jesus. Courage to, to obey Him no matter what the cost. Courage to show whose we are and whom we are serving. Add to your faith that courage to do His will. But then we need to add to virtue knowledge. We need to know what to stand for and how to stand for it. Zeal without knowledge is like a ship without a rudder, one writer states it. And he gives an example, Saul of Tarsus. We've been studying Saul of Tarsus in our Sunday morning Bible class and we noted how zealous he was thinking that, that destroying Christianity he was doing the will of God, believing that that was the will of God. He was fanatical about that. And again, believing he was doing exactly what God wanted him to. But that was zeal without knowledge. Then he was confronted by Christ. And he learned who Christ truly was and is. And then he uh, surrendered his life in obedience to Jesus. Became a Christian being baptized into Christ, and then began living according to that true knowledge that he, had, that he had gleaned from Jesus. Add to your virtue, Saul added to his virtue, to his courage, knowledge. And when he added knowledge, then he began to live like God truly wanted him to. The same thing with us. We're to add to our faith virtue or courage, but then add to our courage Knowledge. The word here, uh, Greek, the Greek word is gnosis, is that knowledge which enables a man to decide rightly and to act honorably and efficiently in the day-to-day -day circumstances of life. That's the knowledge that we need. The knowledge that will help us in our day-to-day -day lives. How do we come about that knowledge? Well, verse 3 God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue. This knowledge is gained by a faithful study and application of the Word of God. 
Add to your faith courage to do his will. But then we got to know what his will is. So we got to add knowledge. And then add to your knowledge, Peter says, self-control. Self-control. This literally means keeping yourself in check or getting a grip on yourself. It means having passions, but having them under control to become servants of God. I think a good illustration is the self-control of an athlete in training. In fact, Paul uses this very imagery in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or exercises self-control in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it unto subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Again, the imagery there is an athlete who is exercising self-control as he trains to, to perform to the best of, of his ability. We're to add to our knowledge self-control or temperance. Bring our passions under, under God's control, under self-control with his help, and discipline ourselves accordingly. But then, that's not all. Then add to self-control perseverance. Perseverance. Your Bible, I think the King James uh, 1611 uses the word patience. Sometimes patience, that word patience has, has a passive connotation. Like uh, you just let it, let it go. But this word is actually very active. So perseverance, persevering is the idea. Add to your self-control perseverance. The, the original word men, literally means to remain under. You have some burden that you must carry and you, refru you refuse to, to release it or to, to give up. You remain under it and you persevere, you endure. That's the idea. One writer says perseverance is the ability to endure when circumstances are difficult. What Peter is reminding us is that, yes, God wants to hear these soul tones in our lives. But in our lives, there are going to be difficulties that arise. Especially when we strive to live the Christian life. But he doesn't want us to give up. He wants us to persevere. And add to your perseverance, godliness. Godliness, God-likeness, becoming more like God. And Bible students who study the original language tell us that this word that is used, this translated godliness, has two directions. One is our direction toward God, that we render everything to God that He is due, our loyalty, our devotion, etc., but it also has the dimension, the direction of to our fellow man. So one who, has, who develops or adds this quality of godliness to their lives is concerned not only with his relationship with God, but also his relationship with his fellow man and seeks to be right 
in both senses. Add to your perseverance godliness. Verse 7, to godliness brotherly kindness. It's easy for me to pronounce this Greek word. It's Philadelphia. Of course, you know the city in Pennsylvania by that name. You probably remember what that means. They call it the city of brotherly love. That's what the, the word means, the love of brothers. We're to add to this godliness, this, this desire to be right with God and with our fellow man, brotherly kindness, where we're active in our demonstrating our love and concern for, for our fellow man, especially in the household of God. And then the highest octave, from faith all the way up to love. Add to brotherly kindness, love. The Greek word is agape, the highest type of love, the type of love that God has for you and for me. With brotherly love, we love because of our likenesses to others. But with agape love, we love in spite of the differences that we have. So it's a, yet a higher form of love. And it forms the top end of that octave of eight soul tones. But Peter is saying, what does God expect of us? Well, he wants us to be faithful, faithful and fruitful. How do we go about being faithful and fruitful? We sing God a song with these eight soul tones that we purposefully add to our lives, beginning with faith all the way up to love. He even tells us if we are persistent in this and dedicated to adding these things to our lives, he tells us some blessings that come about. If you do these things, he describes the condition of a Christian who, who abounds in these Christian graces. Verse 8, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're diligent about adding these things purposefully to your life, you won't be barren. You won't be unfruitful. If we abound in these things. Verse, verse 10, we'll come back to verse 9 in a moment. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. How do we make our calling and election sure? By at continually devoting ourselves to adding these things, these qualities to our lives. And Peter says, if we do that purposefully, we will never stumble. It, it's not saying, it's not, speak, it's not speaking of the impossibility of apostasy here. This is conditional. If you do these things, if you continue to add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge and so forth, if you are diligent about adding these things, you won't stumble. Why not? Because we're continuing to grow. We're continuing to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. We're continuing to grow in the ways that God expects his people to grow. Not only that, verse 11, for those who, are, who will 
do these things and entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Greeks use this phrase about this abundant welcome to describe the welcome that was given to Olympic athletes who had been victorious in their, in their endeavors. So imagine being in a Grecian community and one of your athletes that has participated in the games come home, comes home with the gold. And imagine the, the lavish welcome, the celebration that takes place because of this victorious athlete who's been homegrown. That's the picture that's being used. If you continue to add these things to your life, you will continue to grow. You won't stumble. Not only that, God will reward you. He will make lavish provision for you into that an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom, speaking of heaven. He's not saying we can earn this lavish provision, but God will reward those who seek to be faithful to him and fruitful in his good work. So, but not only does Peter say, if you do these things, if you're diligent about it, this is what these are the blessings that will come. He also tells us in verse 9, if we don't add these things, what will happen? He who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. If we don't add to our faith, virtue to our virtue knowledge to our knowledge self-control and all the way up to love if we don't focus on on growing in these areas we're short-sighted even to blindness he reminded me of the christians at laodicea and what jesus had to say to them these are the christians of which jesus said i know your works that you're neither cold nor hot I wish you were cold or hot. But because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That always got my attention whenever that scripture was read as a child. Wow, he said vomit. But that's the repulsiveness of lukewarmness that it is to Jesus. But listen to what else Jesus says to these Christians at Laodicea. Because you say, and this is how they were viewing themselves. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, they thought they had it all together. They thought, we don't need anything. Jesus says, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked they were blind they thought they could see but Jesus says they're blind and he counsels them to buy from him gold refined in the fire that you may be rich white garments that you may be clothed and and anoint your eyes with eye salve that that you may see they were blind if we if we don't grow if we are lukewarm like the Christians in Laodicea Jesus would say we're blind because we haven't been 
diligent about seeking to grow, adding to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and so forth. <clears throat> but not only that, he said if we don't add these things, that describes a Christian who has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. He has forgotten, uh, Toll wrote, he has forgotten the greatest possible blessings from the greatest possible blesser at the greatest possible cost. I read about a man by the name of John Gordon. He uh, fought in the Civil War. Uh, he was a general for the South in the Civil War. And after the war, he was running for the United States Senate. A man who had served under him did not like him at all and was determined that he would not be successful in his bid to run in the U.S. Senate. And everyone knew that this man would fight Gordon's bid to become a senator. Well, during the convention, this man angrily stomped down the aisle with his anti-Gordon vote in hand. And as he did so, he saw Gordon, General Gordon, sitting on the platform. And he looked at him. And he observed the scars on his face that he had incurred during the war. And it struck him that those scars were marks of his willingness to suffer and bleed for a cause he believed in. The old soldier was stricken with remorse about how he had assessed General Gordon. And he, was, and he exclaimed, it's no use, I can't do it. Here's my vote for John Gordon. And then turning to the general, he said, forgive me, general. I had forgotten the scars. I had forgotten the scars. A Christian who does not seek to grow, to add these Christian graces to, to our lives, we've forgotten the scars. The scars that Jesus incurred when he suffered even before he was nailed to the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. Isaiah prophesied, and by his stripes we are healed. If we fail to grow, as Peter has instructed us to do, we have forgotten the scars. So for these reasons, how then shall we live? I think Peter gives us a lot to, to be working on. What God expects of his people. Based upon the blessings that God has given us. God wants us to make every effort to, to grow in the likeness of Jesus. And we have a part in that. And our part is adding these eight soul tones to our lives. So we can sing a beautiful song to God who is a music lover. My friend and former classmate, Alan Webster, said it like this. If we add these notes to our soul's song, God will like the tune that, that we sing.
And so the final question is, does God like the tune that we're singing with, with our lives? Are we growing in these graces? If not, maybe we haven't seen our condition as we truly are, blind. Maybe we've forgotten as Christians the scars, the price that was paid for our salvation. May we be encouraged to, to understand that God wants us to be faithful and fruitful to Him. And that requires a proper response on our parts. There's something we should do. We should seek to grow in these very, very areas that Peter has outlined for us. We extend the invitation of Jesus to you this evening. And it may be that there's someone who has been studying and is ready to put the Lord on in baptism as a penitent believer. If that be the case, we would love to assist you in your obedience to the gospel. May I encourage all of us who are Christians to continue to grow in the ways that we've studied in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we'll continue to study. But continue to focus on how we can add Add these things to our lives because we want to please the very one who gave his son to die for us. If you need the prayers of the church tonight, we invite you to come right now as we stand and sing.